A lot of people celebrate May as Mental Wellness Month, and it means a lot to me personally because I um, have a personal experience with mental wellness and a mother who ended her life early because she just didn't have the resources to thrive. And this is why I created 360 Life Strategies. So many of us just um, elbow our way through life just trying to figure out how to get to the next day. And when we're raised without the resources and guidance of a healthy mom and dad, it becomes really, really important that we learn from other people how to create strategies to thrive. I mean, not just survive day to day, but thrive. So this month for May, I'm having a series of guests who have lined up some strategies for you. If that's something that you need, I guarantee you, you're going to find hope. If it's not something that you need because you had the help that so many of us didn't, then keep in mind that you might know somebody and you can tell when somebody really needs help because they don't know how to navigate stress. And this is a really good litmus test, this COVID crisis. So I hope you'll listen and think of somebody who might need to hear this message and send it along. Thanks. Hi, Dr. Marla. It is so fun to have you on Women, Wine, and Leadership because, uh, boy, when you and I met the first time, um, we don't have to go into detail, but when I learned that you were providing sidetracked care for geriatric patients. It's so hard for me to use all those consonants. You, <laughs> you are solving a problem that is so critically important for this world because there's a huge population coming into um, this, this last third of life. And there's so much more life to live. And I cannot wait to unpack some of the things that you're able to unpack for your clients. Um, just so that our listeners know, Dr. Marla Richard brings a tremendous amount of psychiatric experience from University Hospitals of Cleveland, Stanford University, and most recently University of California in San Diego, where she helps um, geriatric patients on a daily basis. And she's also building a program now where she can help many, many more people. So um, Dr. Marla, I just want to hand over the mic to you to, to introduce why you do what you do and what you think is so important that you're imparting to the world right now. Well, thank you, Donna, for having me here. I think that the biggest thing that I was sort of would say to people is this word that we used before called flexibility. Because if you look at mental illness over the years, you can really put it into two classes. You can put it into rigidity or chaos. Both of those states we don't hold or do very well with. And really what we want to do is be able to be flexible. And especially when we look at the COVID-19 situation that we currently have. Right. And um, the second part of that, I, I think the biggest component that I would like people to sort of learn is how to be in the moment. And you know, because this is where the richness of life is lived. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we have this fantasy that we can live in other time zones. And those two time zones are the past, which are happen to be filled usually with the woulda, coulda, shouldas, all our regrets and depression, or the future. And the future is that uncertain state 
where we have anxiety yeah. because we always think about the worst case scenarios or the what ifs. And the problem is, is we, we spend too much time in those two time zones. We take right. us out of the present moment. And the present moment really is the only time where you can have love, happiness, and joy. And don't we all want those? Right. So and there's such a, a beautiful gift in living in the present. Right. Um, because um, uncertainty breeds fear. And I see a lot of activity in the world right now that is motivated yeah. by fear. How are your patients actually presenting um, as you've been able to help people in the past six weeks or so? Like, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the biggest question or, or uh, problem that I solved today is how do we deal with uncertainty in these uncertain times? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for all of us, we have to live with uncertainty. Yeah. I don't know about you, but my crystal ball faded a long time ago. We just don't have that capacity to be able to see what's going to happen around the corner, down the street, but we have safety measures or patterns that we integrate into our lives to be able to help us navigate those. Yes. And the COVID-19 situation really has taken away and blown up all of those because yes. our normal life is gone. So I think with that then brings this sense of uncertainty. Right. And, you know, I try to reframe that for people to sort of have them look at it as really what it is, is mindfulness. Yeah. And it's because our normal patterns are gone, not by choice, but by a situation that was out of our control, which yeah. happens frequently, but we just tend to navigate that differently. Yeah. So I, you know, you could look at it as this is our opportunity because we are mindful to make our lives work for us better. And I've sort of seen that in a lot of capacities where people are letting go of some of the things that they really didn't like to do. Yeah. For instance, all my introverts are loving that they can't go anywhere because they don't have that pressure for them to get out and to socialize. So they're using the situation to be able to really get those things done or have those experiences that they want to have. Yeah. And at the same time, then, for families that were in a lot of families for graduations, marriages, you know, all kinds of situations, right. Passovers, Easters, we haven't been able to celebrate in a traditional way. And so we've sort of thought, had to think outside the box to be able, how do we do that? And so for a lot of families now, they've instigated and brought in a lot of different ways to be able to celebrate as a family. Right. Those things, you know, what I see, you spoke about my geriatric population, they really miss their grandkids. And there's a, there's a huge generation gap between technology, right? And so a lot of them now are using this experience to learn how to do Zoom, to learn how to do Facebook, yeah. to how to do words with friends, and to have this engagement with their grandchildren right. on a different level. That's a beautiful point that you mentioned. So many really salient points in that. Um, and I just today heard a story about a woman who has um, an employee in her retail shop whose uh, children told her, well, because mom, you're working in a retail environment, we're not going to let you see the grandkids. Mm -hmm. And that was a uh, it was a decision point for her. She ultimately resigned from her 
position, which was just a fun store that was fun for her to work in. And it was a social experience that her kids wouldn't let her see the grandkids as long as she's working there. So she resigned and it, it hurts my heart, but I realize we have fear happening to us on a number of different levels and areas that we can't control. And that's why I love this, this topic today to just talk about uncertainty. How do you manage your life in an uncertain environment? How can you stay connected with people when you can't control the decisions that they make? And it really impacts your life. Right. Right. And, and I think that what happens in one of the drives that's, it's very primitive drive and it's, it's totally unconscious, but some of that anxiety and certainty comes from us as mammals. We are mammals and we are born to attach and we have our tribes and we are estranged from our tribes. And right. if you think about it, all the, the, the wild animal shows that we watched as kids or that we hear about, what happens to that lone wolf or that animal on the side that's not in with the herd? They're at higher risk for- They're targeted. They're targeted. They're consumed or there's something that sense of impending doom that happens to them, right? Because the tiger who is going to come and eat them is not going to go for the herd. They're going to go for the single person, right? And this social distancing for a lot of us is now translating into social isolation Mm -hmm. and it's activating that whole sort of sense that I am by myself. So we do have to be more creative about how do we connect with people because we need that. We need to be connected. And loneliness is a real problem. It's both in, you know, I used to say it was in my geriatric patients, but actually it's, you know, ages 35 and up. Kids and people don't know how to connect on the same level that we need. It's not a text, you know, it's not a a Zoom. It's actual taking in somebody's, I call it eyeballs. We need to take in somebody else's eyeballs. Wouldn't you say that there's an element of taking in those eyeballs? Yes. There's a difference between looking at someone and seeing somebody. Absolutely. And wouldn't you say that people can be surrounded by humans and still feel lonely? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we see that all the time, right? And it's, it's how do you connect? Because we're talking about a connect, you know, for some people, the Zooms actually give them more connection than they would if they were in the room with somebody. Right. Because they have to physically engage. Whereas if you're in a room with somebody, you don't necessarily have to do that. Right. It's so true. And, um, when you're on camera, people can see when you're not paying attention. <laughs> right, right. We've all been on too many Zoom calls these days where we get found out. Well, you know, I have to say it's been really kind of an interesting switch over for us from going into in-person to telehealth. Yeah. And the rules of engagement for telehealth are different than when somebody comes into my office. Really? And at- we've had more episodes of zoom calls and telehealth they become more and more relaxed really you're oh, absolutely more relaxed yeah. on zoom well but now now i see them eating their lunch or they're playing with the dog or they're out in the garden and you know that there's a different sort of them that shows up than if they were in my office well that makes sense and do you think that helps the environment 
um, the the consultation that you provide to them when they have kind of a personal barrier down? Well, I think that, you know, I, I tell people that the mental status exam begins very moment I see them in the lobby and bring them back into my office. It's, and, and it's a collective, like the eyeballs, it's a collective sort of energy that you're, you're scanning for and that you're picking up and, you know, how do they look? How, you know, is their hair combed? Are their clothes clean? You know, how are they walking? Do they get up quickly? Do they gather their things? Are they, you know, so there's lots of information that you get that you don't necessarily see on a Zoom call because it's more static because they're already there and ready. That's a really good point. So I, I want to know, because I know that the women who pay attention to women, wine and leadership are a lot like me, middle-aged. And um, in this, this frame of mind where things are happening to me that I don't understand, talk about uncertainty, even before COVID, you mm -hmm. enter into middle age and things start happening in your body and you're going, what? How? What's going on here? And so if, if you see somebody um, when you meet them in the lobby and they seem disheveled and scatterbrained and they're trying to pick up their stuff and they feel really like rushed and hurried, this is not a personal counseling session at all. <laughs> I mean, what, what is the conclusion that you come to when you um, see that disheveled, rushed person versus someone who really seems in control and composed? Well, I, I think it's a, it's information, you know, it's something to explore because you have to get the story. We are story making, you know, machines. So we have to find out what is the story. Is it because they've been sick? Is it because they've had recent surgery? Is it because their husband's ill? Is it because they had recently had to leave the home because the home became unsafe? I mean, there's lots of things that, that go into how we present to the world. And so it's just as a, a way to sort of take that in that they may not tell us. You know, they may not come in and say, hey, I really had a terrible night last night when it's very obvious that you're having a terrible day. So does that mean it's, a, you know, comes from the night or is there something that's happened on the way here? So it's, it, it's just a way to sort of gather more information and, and get the story with, with what's happening. I love that, Marla. The, the reason that I, I wanted to, to dig into that is because, you know, we're in a place where we encounter people who are behaving, um, they might be triggered by fear, they might be triggered by just uncertainty that is related to fear. And when we assess where somebody is coming from, um, the hum it's natural human nature to start to judge mm -hmm. who they are based on that presentation. And we were just talking in a business meeting today about how we could develop the eyes to see where someone's coming from and to recognize this behavior that I'm seeing is not customary. It might be triggered by fear or uncertainty or any number of stressors on their life. How do you think people, or, or how do you as, as a um, psychiatrist help people to understand to create that lens and be more forgiving and, and open-minded toward other people? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I think that question always has to become brought back to home. And part of what happens is, is that kindness and compassion that we can extend to somebody else, we first have to extend it to ourselves. Right. And if we're not allowing ourselves to be that, it's really hard to give it to anybody else. Yeah, true. You know, and so it, it really when 
I sort of break it down into two categories. There's that kind of worry that we can do something about, that actionable worry. So you're in the grocery store and somebody's standing too close to you and it's making you nervous. Now you can make up a story about that and said that person's really ignorant or that person is hostile or that person doesn't really care about me. When the actual reality is, if, unless you're gonna know, you're making assumptions, right? You're personalizing and you're making assumptions. So you, you have a couple outcomes that you can have, actions with outcomes. One, you could ask, can you get away from me? <laughs> or tell, right? You're too close to me. Or you can take and empower yourself and offer that kindness and compassion to yourself saying, I am nervous. You're making me scared. I don't know what's going on with you. I'm going to take two steps back. So it's really to be able to realize and recognize your own state of what's going on. Yeah. Or you get into someone else's space. Right. That's really smart. Well, one, you can actually do something about. The other one, you can create conflict. You can have a, I mean, I saw an interaction in Whole Foods when the whole toilet paper thing first occurred. And you could only, you know, you could only go in at certain times and stuff and all the toilet paper was gone and some carts had some and some didn't. And I saw someone steal toilet paper out of somebody else's cart and they got caught. And it was, it was just, I think that, Fear, it's all driven by fear, yeah. right, of I'm not going to have, so I have to take from somebody else. And the reality is, it's just, we don't have to live that way. You know, I heard a funny thing um, that somebody shared on the internet, um, that the average family needs to poop like 72 times a day to use all the toilet paper that people are hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a it's a crazy thing why that came as a consequence of feeling uh, locked up in our homes. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's it is, it's really it is really. Well, funny. I can't wait till all the psychologists write a research study on that with the COVID nineteen pandemic. Well, you know what they always say: we can see the trends. It's the counter trends that are not as obvious to us. So uh, there's something that will come out of that. I have no idea what it'll be. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Okay. So we always, um, we're about at the part of the podcast interview where we, we get from the, the world where you serve to the world where you live. And, and um, you know, the whole premise of 360 Life Strategies is providing strategies for women to really excel in life. And that starts between the ears. That's why we have this focus on mental wellness. So Dr. Marla, how do you maintain the equilibrium of the mind to operate in, a, in an optimal way in your own world? Tell us a little bit about the strategies that you employ in your own life. Well, Donna, that's a great question. And it really goes back to this thing that we're talking about, uncertainty. And the reason that sort of fear and uncertainty gets a hold of us is because it all stays in our head. You know, and one thought leads to another, one fear gathers, you know, to another, and we get down the road, and then next thing we know, it's like, oh my gosh, we're catastrophizing, and we've gone down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing that I like to tell people and to help them recognize is your source of safety is your body. Mm -hmm. You're never going to think yourself out of danger. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And so what you need to do, and we talk about integration, you need to integrate that anxiety back to your body so that you can do something about it. 
Right. So it's like I was saying in the grocery store example, then you could walk away or take a step back so that you can be safe. So the biggest thing that I find that I do for myself is breath work. And our breath is always with us. It's neutral. It doesn't cost us anything. And what it instantly does is brings us to the moment centered in our body. Because most people who are anxious breathe too shallow and too quick. Yeah. And so it's one of those things we never deconstruct. And it started when we were, were two years old and our mother or father said to us, no, you can't have that. And instantly we all, <laughs> we, we suck at our breath. And from that moment, we have learned to control our emotional states by our breath. Yeah. So the, the one that I like to teach to people because it's easy is a four, seven, eight breath. It was popularized by Dr. Andy Weil several years ago but it's there's nothing magical necessarily about the numbers but what it is is it's a single breath that you count for a count of four you hold i mean you breathe in for a count of four you hold for a count of seven and you breathe out for a count of eight yeah and it's a it's a mindfulness practice um and what that does is it automatically slows your breath down and when you are in your body and you're in the moment, then you have that flexibility that we talked about to maybe have a different outcome and yeah. to be able to think about what you need to do, to do, not just think, to be able to get yourself out of danger, to take the next step, to right. listen to your intuition, to whatever it is that you need to do. And it's a practice. And so that's, to me, the, one of the biggest things that I've learned to do and give to myself. Four, seven, eight. So you're four, creating seven, a rhythm. Eight. In, in my coaching program, we talk about rhythms that keep you operating at a high level and mm -hmm. so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, all, everything requires our attention. If we want to do something different, we have to bring our attention there because our energy follows our attention. And some people say, well, how do I do that? Well, it's very easy to capture our attention. It's yeah. you just bring your attention to the back of the room, bring it to the front of the room, bring it to reading level. Now you have your attention, right? You're here, right here, right now. You can feel your butt in the chair, or your feet on the floor, and you have the option and to build on that, but you have to grab your attention first. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. That's true. Well, that's a, that's a real great strategy that anyone can implement right now. Absolutely. Okay. Now, um, it is called Women, Wine, and Leadership. I mean, people ask, why the wine, Donna? Well, because I wanted a good reason to write off all of my wine investments. So it's part of my business. But truly, um, in, in, this, in this discovery, there are some really great analogies that um, the winemaking world uses to talk about the process of creating wine from the vine through the whole mm -hmm. process that really draw fascinating parallels with how leaders develop, mm -hmm. how people become whole. So um, we're not going into that today, but um, because we're talking about how you help people become whole through psychiatry, tell me what wine you drink at the end of the day, or do you? You know, I live in Temecula right now, and we have a huge wine industry here. But one of the wines that I enjoy, because it is summertime, or getting to be summertime, is a French dry rosé. 
Oh, yes. Somebody was just telling me about the best rosé they've ever had. That's a, a French rosé, though. Mm -hmm. And dry is really important to note because some rosés can be sweet. Right. And, you know, I guess the, the sweetness to me doesn't appeal. It's the dryness that, and more than anything else, it's lifting that glass and toasting somebody else. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> that is, that is the perfect, the perfect, those are the perfect words to use. Um, you know, there's such a, an art in winemaking and just like in creating a whole person and helping somebody to live their whole life well. Mm -hmm. There's an art to that. So, Absolutely. Um, pretend you have that rosé in your hand. I'm saying, here's to Dr. Marla. It has been a real honor to have you on the podcast. I think we could talk a long time, and I look forward to staying connected. I can't wait to hear what comes next. So if somebody says, this is a woman I want to connect with, how do they connect with you? Well, currently, I'm getting the start of my own sort of one-to-many I've been doing one-to-one, -one. and so in that one-to-many journey, I am getting my website set up, which will be drmarlarichard.com, and I currently also have a Facebook page called Dr. Marla. Okay, great, and the, the website, is it Dr. Marla or D-O-C-T-O-R? D-R. Okay. Less letters, the better. I know, me too. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I totally, totally agree. Good. Well, we will send them to you, Dr. Marla, and I'm so grateful for your time today. Thanks so much for giving up this Thank time. you, Donna. Cheers. Cheers. I'm so glad you joined us today on Women, Wine, and Leadership. I hope you left with some really practical strategies. And if you're feeling like Hmm, not sure where to go from here. Go to 360lifestrategies.com, scroll down the page, and click on Book My Strategy Session Now. That's what I'm here for. I'll offer you a 30 minute strategy session to kind of get you off to the next place. And, you know, if we need to work together further, we can do that. I just want you to be connected with the strategies you need to not just survive this life, but thrive. There's a whole nother world that many of us haven't even had access to. That's what we're here to do. So stop by. <music>